Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast centered at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt Lesky. I am a white, cis, gay man and a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible privilege to sit down with various experts from across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining me today is Mike Gutierrez. Joining me today is Mike Gutierrez. Mike, would you mind introducing yourself, your role here at Howard Brown, and your pronouns, please? Yes, my name is Mike Gutierrez. My pronouns are he, him, his, el español. I am the program manager for White Part D Medical Case Management, and I am also the co-chair of the Latinx Committee at Howard Brown Health. Co-chair of the Latinx Committee. So uh, while the other half of uh, your title is also quite interesting, we won't dive into that today. We're, we're focusing on the Latinx Committee here at Howard Brown Health. Um, as uh, our listeners may or may not know, we are um, towards the tail end of Latinx Heritage Month, which runs from September 15 to October 15. Uh, and we're going to dive into all the intricacies of that. But um, before we get started, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? How did you end up at a queer healthcare nonprofit? Uh, and what's kind of your driving motivation to be on the Latinx committee and everything? Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a lot of experience working in social services. I used to work in a agency that offered services for those who've been harmed by domestic violence, RPV, sexual assault. So I worked with those who've been harmed. I worked with those who've caused the harm. I worked in foster care. I worked in a behavioral school. And then I found out that Howard Brown Health was hiring. And just because of a passion for working with populations who are very marginalized or just need an extra voice to help uplift them, I was very drawn to Howard Brown. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I always ask every guest that because um, I think that's something that is unique about Howard Brown is that everybody has their own reasons and motivations and, and unique stories that bring them here. So so thanks for sharing. But like I said before, we're talking about Latinx Heritage Month, which kind of plays into your theme of um, uplifting groups that, that need their voices uplifted. So um, let's, let's dive in. What is your heritage specifically. Can I ask that? Is Absolutely, that- yes. I am Mexican and Puerto Rican or Boricua. Um, I consider myself a Mexican. Okay. So what we will learn too with like a lot of different individuals who identify as Latino, Latine, Hispanic, oftentimes we are more than one thing. Gotcha. So. Okay. And I was a little bit nervous. Is that the correct way to like ask somebody that? Are there situations where you do or don't ask somebody that? That's a bigger question, I know. And it's probably person by person, but yeah. I I don't know. Yeah, no, definitely person by person. I will say as Latinx individuals who always feel like we don't have a voice, we definitely love to share anytime we can of how beautiful and complex our cultures are. So definitely asking what is your heritage instead of what are you, mm-hmm. I think would be the better way of asking okay. that. Yeah, whenever, whenever we're talking about on uh, the show, I always like to get our like vocabulary set because sometimes I feel like that is the first barrier to people like engaging with these topics is being able to talk about it comfortably and know what words are okay to use and what words you probably shouldn't. So um, just wanted to get that off the bat. Latinx Heritage Month, I was talking about this before we started recording. Uh, I kind of got the same vibe from APITA Month, which is Asian Pacific Islanders Desi American Month. Uh, and to, to that end, both of these Heritage Months paint with really broad strokes in that they group a lot of people under one title. With that in mind, how do you celebrate this month uh, as a group, but also celebrate your individuality, your specific heritage? That feels like a a hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, definitely within the month, there are different days that celebrate different um, Independence Days or different 
days of importance with each country depending dive into those yeah absolutely um hispanic or latinx heritage month starts on the 15th of september and it does that because that's actually when it first was hispanic heritage day and then it became a week Mm -hmm. um but it also because it celebrates a lot of latin american countries like costa rica el salvador guatemala honduras nicaragua Mexico and Chile, they celebrate their Independence Days on the 15th, the 16th, and the 18th. And then we will then go over on the 12th, which is also known as um, Dia de la Raza for those who identify as being Latinx, Latine, Hispanic, and that's just Indigenous Peoples Day, just because we don't know Columbus Mm -hmm. to be the hero that many people (laughs) thought the myth is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so it's... There's different days built into the month, and that's why it spans the two separate months instead of, you know, going to the 1st or the 30th, like other... Correct. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and so, I... That, and that makes sense, because in retrospect, I was... I, I It happens every year, and I, it always... I forget until I see it. Um, there, um, Latinx people in Chicago, especially... I mean, it, they didn't do it in my small town, obviously, but um, have a big penchant for displaying their pride on their car. Um, as they drive around, especially during this month or like the first week of this Latinx Heritage Month. Um, that being said, I feel like the 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 pride for one own specific heritage is really like specific and like like lineated. I don't know. Like, is is that a thing where like you you as a member of the community can really like parse out like who uh, is from what heritage? Is that a dumb question? Like, I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, definitely just seeing, like, what type of flags are displaying right. and maybe, like, what type of foods they're showcasing you can. This And I'm going to restate this because I do it with every episode, but I always forget that my job here is to ask really dumb questions. So if you need to, like, roll your eyes or state that it's a dumb question, that's totally fine because I like to invite people to learn along with me and I have the... Um, you know, uh, audience in mind that like may not have any experience celebrating a heritage month. So um, that was probably a dumb question. But why do you think it's important people celebrate their individuality and heritage in a workplace? Have you worked in a place where you weren't able to, you know, express that? Or how is it different at Howard Brown? I think the only way it's slightly different is the fact that I've been blessed to actually have a committee that's here 100% for Latinx staff Mm -hmm. and Latinx patients. As someone who's oftentimes in different spaces where I'm either one of or very few of the Latinx individuals in my company, I've always found it very important to, if I don't feel comfortable speaking out loud or knowing that people will silence my voice, if I have something visual, I want to make sure that's there and where people can see it. Just because like being someone who's never been allowed to forget I was Latinx, but also just like growing up with these two different identities and just seeing how different my Mexican side is from my Puerto Rican side, but how they also complement each other and yet how beautiful and complex they both are. Just because my culture is so much to me and it's it's our love language. Our love language is different. Our love language is dancing, it's food. And I think that's how I want to let people know, like, if I'm inviting you in my culture, that's because this is my love language to you. Mm-hmm. And I want you to enjoy my culture because I think it's so beautiful. And it's so many different ways of expressing our culture through food, through the dance, music and poetry. I just think it's a great opportunity also for people to learn. Because oftentimes people will always group Hispanic people, Latinx people as either Spanish or Mexican, mm-hmm. which is not the case. Um, 
if someone is Spanish, and that means they are from Spain, um, and Spanish is also a language. Thank you for that clarification. But that uh, the part you said before that was so beautifully worded, and it really put into, into perspective how when you know somebody who might not be knowledgeable asks, you know, what are you, or is expecting some kind of like disclosure about your heritage. That's asking a lot of somebody, um, especially when you say like it's your love language to invite somebody into your culture. To have somebody like demand that of you feels really, um, really hurtful and 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 silencing. I can imagine. So that that was really well said, and and I appreciate you sharing that. What are what are because I have a hard time with heritage months because. As somebody who doesn't, and, and we talked about this a couple times before we even sat down to this podcast, that like, I am somebody who does not have any Latinx heritage. Uh, and so it feels hard to know how to meaningfully and like um, constructively engage with a heritage month because, you know, it, you, you can be like, yay, but it feels, you know... Um, like, you know, it could be construed as you're doing it for show or like it doesn't like, I, like what, how, how do you prefer people who don't have Latinx heritage engage with a heritage month like this? I definitely think the most important thing to do is just to research it, see what it is, what it means. And I think oftentimes people really confuse culture appreciation with culture preparation. And it's just being very mindful and careful and also just like understanding like where some of these words are coming from, understanding like what it really means to let someone know that you're appreciative of their culture. Yeah. So like Taco Tuesday and heavy margaritas is not always the best way to celebrate, especially since that is only one identity of well over 20 different Spanish-speaking countries that have been celebrated during this time. Gotcha. Okay, so it's researching, which um, obviously listeners can't see, but you came in with a packet of, of research and examples and um, just just so much good info, which... I, I joke on every episode that we'll have to have you back, but I really don't think it's possible to fit all that info into one <laughs> podcast. So stay tuned for part two, like down the road where we can really dive into all the intricacies of uh, the different heritages and, and, and everything. But um, to kind of dive into this intersection of Latinx Heritage Month and healthcare, um, obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that Howard Brown makes it its mission or is at least very cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, minorities or just oppressed people in general are disproportionately affected uh, when it comes to healthcare. They don't have access to it or the healthcare is not affirming uh, or culturally sensitive, culturally intelligent. So um, can you expand a little bit on that as it relates specifically to Latinx people uh, when it comes to healthcare inequities, either specifically in Chicago or just broadly across the nation? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. I think the <laughs> most important thing, though, is just because someone speaks Spanish doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate, especially learning the type of Spanish you speak. There are many different dialects. So just because someone speaks Spanish from Spain doesn't necessarily mean that all the words are going to translate 100% to someone who speaks Spanish, maybe from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Because then a lot of times what we do is with our cultures, a lot of, although a lot of indigenous populations were eradicated, we still have a lot of those words and those cultures we hold really deep. Mm -hmm. So some of our words do derive from a lot of these indigenous populations. And I say that because it's important for us to understand what is affecting healthcare in Latinx individuals, just because our culture, our religion, spirituality, all that affects it. And there's so much mistrust surrounding healthcare just because oftentimes 
a lot of things are done in the quote unquote name of good science to help others, but yet there's still a lot of harm being done. So I think one of the most um, ish, well known ish um, examples of this would be the unethical trials they did in Puerto Rico in regards to birth control. And so what happened with these individuals, they promised these things and they were saying some of these things were lost in translations, but it leaves us to believe, was it really, or was it left down intentionally? And so a lot of these women while doing these studies and or they were hospitalized, some of them died, some of them were left with body parts that did not function the way it should have. A lot of them were unable to even have children themselves, but all this was done in the name of birth control. And one of the people who was in charge of the study was quoted as saying, like, this would be the best way to control our impoverished communities. I have a lot of questions. Um, so the best way to control meaning, like, population control? Yes. And this was done by who specifically? Oh, the United States government. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. Um, not surprised. Definitely disappointed. So, I... I got to sort out my thoughts here a second. Um, so you talked before you got into the specific story about how translation, especially within the medical field, is huge. I was a Spanish minor back in college uh, and am really bad at it. But from that small glimpse, I know like the differences even in dialect, vocabulary, the way words are pronounced uh, can have a huge impact on the meaning of a word, whether or not, you know, somebody is able to understand it. And that even if it's well-intentioned, the translation is well-intentioned, obviously ha can have huge medical ramifications uh, on, on the patient. Um, so that's, before we get into the second part, that strikes me as a really difficult problem to solve. Is there any effort on, to your knowledge, on behalf of like medical institutions to really have solid translation services or to promote um, the employment of people who can provide those translation services, or is it just kind of like, and eh, this is the best we can do? Oftentimes we hear this is the best we can do. Luckily, Howard Brown is also in the process of getting a brand new translation service. Yes, okay. and we want to make sure that they also have their medical certification, which is really important. Gotcha. Because when you got people that maybe went to Spain to study, but yet the population is coming from, let's say, for example, Chile, you're not really going to understand that population. Right. There's the difference in, yeah, in... Um, everything really everything yeah and then there's also like i've said this before but like just because i was a spanish minor doesn't mean i know how to say anything medical like i can tell you how to get to the grocery store but <laughs> i can't tell you about your appendix uh so i feel like there's a lot that goes into that even if an organization is well intended but the second half of what you're talking about of you know the the forced participation um when it comes to these clinical trials um i feel like that's something that people probably don't know, um, which is, yeah, I guess that's why the podcast exists. So we can share stories like that and people can go into these heritage months knowing why they're there in the first place. Um, what are there are other, other examples of that when it comes to yes, the mistrust? There are so many examples. I mean, even in Guatemala and Mexico, the same studies that were done here in the United States and the South in regards to syphilis would also be done there. And in Guatemala, it wasn't until about, I would say maybe 10 years ago when they finally won the lawsuit against the United States government because it left a population of indigenous people unable to have their own children because of how progressive syphilis was. Oh my goodness. I, I'm not going to take this podcast in like, 
because I feel like I could really go on a big tangent about the government and like, you know, foreign policy and all yes. sorts of things. I also don't know enough to take this on that tangent. So we're going to uh, leave that be. But why, why was, why were we allowed to do that? Because those countries have their own government. So no, but they were just like, oh, it's the U.S. They're fine. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things and it's always hard to say maybe there was promises made. Maybe things were left out. Maybe things yes. happened that they weren't aware of. Um, specifically on the level of the city of Chicago, um, I know you said Howard Rodman was in the process of getting their own translation service, a new translation service, which is great. Yes. Uh, and we've obviously had the Latinx committee and are, are taking steps to be um, as sensitive and culturally intelligent as we can. Are there other organizations in the city that are doing this similar kind of um, work at the intersection of, of healthcare and, and, and culture or, you know, what other resources are out there for people who feel like, feel like they don't fit into the system necessarily. That's fair. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great organizations that help connect other organizations. We have, um, Calor that's able to help individuals that are Latinx. We have, um, the Brick and Culture Center. We have smaller institutions like in, um, Little Village, such as Project Vita, that can help connect people. And I think it's important to do that because oftentimes if we have someone, for example, like we were going earlier, that um, has learned Spanish but is not very familiar with the culture, they may have a lot of questions as to why that visit is so long and why during that visit they hear so many different stories as to the family and what's going on. And with Latinx individuals, they're very touchy, very caring. They love to share love. They get very close. So personal space is very different. Mm. And so when they're touching you, it's because they're just excited and they want you to know, like, I feel safe and I feel comfortable where someone who's not familiar with that um, background may want to place a firm boundary, not knowing where that's coming from without realizing that they could have just completely destroyed any report mm. they've built up or any comfort. That makes so much sense. So it's even the little things about, because you talk about, you know, um, bedside manner when it comes yes. to, to healthcare, about like interacting with patients in an appropriate manner. And they may feel like, oh, this patient is a lot. I got to like, you know, really, like you said, set some firm boundaries, but that's not, you know, that's that culture. Like you, that's what would be offensive to do otherwise. Um, this may be me overstepping my bounds a little bit, but um, when I studied in Mexico a little bit, they, and this may just be like whitewashed education that uh, put this out there, but I feel like the, like, um, the, the, the practice of like home remedies when it comes to like simple like healthcare stuff is still pretty you know prevalent and and uh, people are very proud to take care of themselves that way is that still something that you see reflected uh here in latinx um people in the city and does that play into how we provide them healthcare? um because i feel like that might also play into you know why should i take you know, this pill or this medication or this course of treatment, if I know that there's probably a way I can do this at home. Does that make sense? Is yeah. that a fair question to ask? Oh, a thousand percent. No, that's very valid and very fair. Just because, as we said earlier, like we still have a lot of types of indigenous population or indigenous roots, and there is some science behind it. And I think for someone who has a Latinx background, is familiar with this, can say, yeah. this is great. This works because of A, B, C, and D, but let's also do this in addition to doing this. 
that we were letting them know, like, you're doing great. Like, mm-hmm. this is amazing that you're doing this, but let's get it back up. Right. That way you're not shutting it down or closing them entirely. Right. I think I feel like that's, like, the epitome of, like, culturally intelligent healthcare, where it's, like, we're not going to talk down to you because you're, you know, doing, you know, the best you can at home. We're going to compliment what you're doing with this, and that way we'll have the best health outcomes. So I feel like... I, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about vocabulary because I know we talked about it at the beginning. Yes. Um, I keep saying Latinx, uh, and I know there are people that don't like that term, prefer to use a different term. They're, the way I learned it in college was Hispanic, which is not, I don't think, a thing anymore. Um, can you enlighten us? How, wh- what's the best way to, to talk about this? Uh, I think just asking the person okay. because we have Hispanic, we have Latinx, we have, it's basically like Latin with an E and it's pronounced Latine. And then there's a new one now that's, it's basically Latin, but then it's got the at sign and it's pronounced Latinao. And that's more for like terminology, but really the term Hispanic came from back in the day when the Romans came to Spain, they named it His, Hispania, spelled, you know, right. H-I-S. P-A-N-I-A and just meaning like from Spain and because Spain colonized so many different countries they then became known as being Hispanic from origins to Spain but because how that was done and all of the harm that was caused a lot of people don't even identify with their culture they don't they don't it's just difficult because then it's like these are the people that have stolen our culture these are the people that have taken so much away from us why would we identify with them and so you know, Latinx is more of an academic or from like academia and it's from mostly the United States and Mexico because the X is basically a way to include everyone to be inclusive of people like uh, gender non-binary. And so they put the X there, but the X is also very much coming from the Aztec tongue. And this is why when you use it elsewhere, people are not going to be very familiar with that, which gotcha. is why using the E would be more inclusive for everyone from that's not from um, the U.S. or from... Mexico. Okay. But definitely asking someone, like, how do you identify? There's nothing wrong with that. And it's good to know because then it's letting the person know that you're interested and you yeah. want to learn more. And it, people are always here for a good learning experience. At yeah. times, it can be a bit daunting. Always having to be the one to teach, but yeah, I was going to say, you, you have to make sure that the person you're asking has like the bandwidth to be yeah. able to lay it out. And that's totally fine if that's not the case. Um, there's a little, uh, rabbit hole here that you brought up when it comes to language because Spanish is uh, a gendered language you have you know um, male and female words and articles that correspond with those and so you know as people grow more comfortable with their gender identities and expressing their gender identities what not to like get too deep in it but like how do those two things mix where like you said you know, X is to accommodate everybody, but then do you modify? I, I, like, how, do, how does that all work? Yes. Well, first I would start off by saying that if you're going to use Latinx or Latinx, make sure that you do it when you are speaking to a large group of people. Okay. And make sure you're not doing it to someone who's trans masculine mm. or who's a trans Latina, because then you're basically erasing what they've worked so hard to do. And there are okay. people dying every day. So I want to make sure that we're respecting them. But then it does become very difficult because then you will have to change the words that follow afterwards. However, there are some words that end in an E that are basically non-gendered. True. And then there's also some words that don't match. So like 
um, el problema, right? It's L and it ends with an A, but that's because the word comes. I think that it's a it's Greek, if I'm not mistaken, but it definitely it's borrowed from another language. Just like most languages, they borrow from other languages. Yeah. So you have that generals. seems incredibly daunting to have to you know, flex your language. I mean, we do it obviously to some degree in English just to be courteous to people changing pronouns, but it's just pronouns. Like that's pretty simple, but it could be because our language isn't gendered, but Spanish that, uh, I mean, I guess it's, it's the same principle as in English where you got to give some grace to people who, you know, oops, let me correct that. I, you know, used wrong pronouns or said the wrong thing. Um, So I imagine that principle extends a little bit into Spanish, but that seems like, an incredible task. And I also uh, appreciate that you brought out that the X, uh, saying Latin X uh, is kind of influenced by Aztec or like plays into Aztec culture because that was something I noticed in Mexico too because the area where I stayed was very, or where I lived was very um, influenced by Mayan culture. And so yes. there was X's in everywhere. And it was like, that's a specific uh, letter that shows up because of the influence of that culture. So there's just so much to consider uh, when it comes to just like the literal grammar of it all, that I think that's so fascinating. Um, and then you also want to be mindful too, because if you're dealing with older populations who aren't used to what different um, genders, then they then become confused and baffled by the information. Right. And then they can be turned off entirely and just be like, I don't know what this is going on. This is too stressful. Right. Don't want to do it. Yeah. Because you want to invite people in yes. as well. Uh, that's so interesting. I. Switching um, directions a little bit, um, we've talked about the like the medical mistrust and, and the reason why Latinx people's voices should be amplified. Um, what what contributions have Latinx people made to healthcare, uh, like in in a positive way, in a way that you know they wanted to, <laughs> um, that maybe we aren't aware of or don't think about uh, when we are in healthcare settings. Yeah, I think one of the very most important people, just to name in general, in regards to healthcare, social services, human rights, would be um, Silvia de Rivera. Um, she was a a transgender rights activist um, noted for all the work she did in New York. She also co-funded STAR, um, which stands for Street Transvestite Action um, Revolutionaries, to help the... Um, street-based young individuals who were of the two SLGBTQI plus communities. Um, and she also helped just a lot with TGNC competent healthcare as well. Mm, gotcha. And that's, and that's uh, a contribution specifically in America already. Like it's not, yes. you know, in their respective countries. So that's, I feel like I've heard the name Sylvia Rivera, but didn't have context or didn't know to what degree she was involved in. So that's that's a good one. Are there other ones? Yeah, um, we have Helen Rodriguez. Um, and she was actually known in the South Bronx, also in New York or in the States, for establishing appropriate HIV treatments for patients and women, not just in... New York, but also in Puerto Rico. She was also the first Latina president of the American Health Association. And she was actually one of the big activists who fought um, against the Sterilization Abuse Act, which 
was some of what we were talking about earlier about Puerto yeah. Rico. Yeah. Okay. So there was people that were, you know, they were aware of this fighting against it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and a bit earlier, we have um, Severo Ochoa, who was a Spanish American um, biochemist who actually won the um, Nobel Prize for being oh. able to synthesize RNA. Okay. Okay. That I'm bringing, I'm thinking um, back to my high school biology class, RNA, which plays into DNA. And you said Spanish American, meaning from? From Spain. Spain. Correct. Okay. Um, interesting. I, I'm sure I'm like the list can go on. Um, but I, it strikes me that I have never, and, and this is true for pretty much everything I've learned on this podcast that I know most people don't hear about these, uh, contributions or people or, you know, landmark events in their history classes. You know, uh, I feel like most you know most of if you're if you hear wrestling a paper it's because it's that packet of information that we talked about earlier but i feel like most of the stuff in there uh most people don't get taught and don't you know hear because obviously there's a lot of things wrong with our public education system but for for somebody that's listening and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier that wants to engage better wants to do that research like you said where do how how where do you go to to educate yourself short of googling because with anything else the internet's full of maybe resources that we don't want people to hear about and so what are what are some trusted voices trusted organizations that people can go to to educate themselves on you know on on all of this definitely um the history channel is great they will oftentimes hide some really cool things um pbs They actually had a special about the birth control pills. Um, Even just like going to your local library is a really great place to go to. Um, It may be a bit of a smaller section, but I think there's some great Mm -hmm. resources there. And just finding any community activists and just like listening to any speeches they have, podcasts. We have some amazing um, trans Latina activists in Chicago, like Irene Ortiz, Theo Longoria. And they can share their stories and they can talk about like what it's been like for them. And so I think there's just so many great resources, but you definitely want to check to see like where all of their sites or what's being cited in their right. research. Right. I mean, with, with any other, you know, important research you do, you always want to double check where it's coming from and if there's a motive behind sharing that information. But um, I think that's a common theme I've seen across a lot of uh these important issues that we talk about, whether it's, you know, dealing with somebody's heritage like this or, you know, identity or, or healthcare issue, listening is always the first step, uh, uh, and, and learning. So, you know, like you said, those resources like, you know, PBS and your local library and really digging in are, are great, but, uh, important to know, I feel like that if you're going to ask for, you know, answers and explanations from people who have that heritage, make sure that, you know, they have the bandwidth to do it and that you're also listening. Um, that's a skill I feel like I had to learn and I'm still practicing in this podcast because um, as I, you know, say at the top of the show, uh, my job is just to amplify other people's voices. So I've had to work on, on a lot of like listening and not injecting my own um, experience and agenda into things. Um, but yeah, just good things to keep in mind when you're trying to, 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 to learn about, you know, anything, honestly. Um, 
what time are we at? So we're, we're getting close to the end of our time and we've touched on vocabulary. We've touched on, you know, the abuse of the Latinx community at the hands of uh, American politics. We've touched on contributions that the Latinx, Latinx community has made to healthcare. Um, we've kind of talked a little bit about what in culturally intelligent healthcare looks like on like a specific level in terms of translations and things. I, I'm, I've done a lot of like stammering on this episode because there are so many facets of this discussion and that's why Awareness Month episodes kind of like vex me because you can talk about healthcare, you can talk about language, like there's just so many aspects of it and I, and I never know quite what to zone in on. So uh, disclaimer to everybody listening that's probably like, you didn't talk about this and that and that. Uh, I apologize. Uh, there's so many topics and, and we have done our best to try to, to, to include them, but with that in mind, uh, as we round out our time, what do you want people to take home with them from this episode? I was asked, like, what's the moral to the story? If you could have people remember one thing about this episode, what would it be as it pertains to Latinx Angela? I think the most important thing is that each of our cultures are so beautifully complex and we are just more than willing to share our culture with everyone and whether it be our food that has different spices and different levels of spice whether it be like hot spice or spice spice um but we are very loving people and we just want to just share our beautiful culture with people and it is okay just to ask questions yeah i love that the the spirit of community i feel like is most um, important or prevalent when it comes to stuff like this of like yeah everybody's own identity is is rich and important and one of the best things we can do as humans in a society is share that with one another um so i yeah i appreciate those those words and, and that sentiment um with that in mind i will restate the fact that we'll have to have you back because there's 18 more sheets of information to get through but <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, yeah, we'll have to have you back. Thank you. I cannot wait. <laughs> and that has been our episode on Latinx Heritage Month. If you're interested in anything we talked about on the episode, you can go to www.howardbrown.org for more information. Thanks for listening. <laughs>